always been one of those people that can talk to anybody. I'm full of energy. Welcome to the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Each interview, we talk to leaders who differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. These conversations lead to thought-provoking idea sharing and growth accompanied by entertaining storytelling. Welcome along on our journey to lifelong learning, improved performance, and a look inside the competitive mindset. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Check out my friends Brian and Chris and their podcast, The Greatest Games. They explore coaches' journeys, share some funny stories, and inevitably, Chris tries to stump Brian with some trivia. Check out their website, thegreatestgames.podbean.com, and 816basketball on social media. Mike Shaw, welcome to the Competitive Mindset. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate you having me. And no worries. I don't hold too many grudges against Platteville people, especially you, so I'll let you come Thank in. You. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, so let's dive right in and talk to me about your journey and how it's led you to where you are and what you're doing now. So I, uh, I attended Madison Edgewood High School. I'm originally from Madison, um, and I graduated in 2006. And I was playing for Chris Wettler at the time. Um, and Coach Z, when I, you know, I was one of those kids that always wanted to play Division One, like anybody would, the, the almighty scholarship. Um, and towards the end of my senior year, Coach Wettler pulled me aside and said, hey, Mike, I really think you should take a look at Division Three. I think it's you know, perfectly suited for your skill set. And, you know, I was only 150 pounds, so 6'1", 150 doesn't equate to the Division One level all the time. So, you know, I was kind of waiting around, and, you know, of course I wasn't getting any scholarships. I didn't really realize, like, what it took. But he said, you know what, you should check out Platteville. And, you know, as soon as he said that, um, Platteville ended up being the perfect spot for me. And, you know, when I got to campus, and you would know this, how good WIC basketball is, um, when I got to campus, I thought I wasn't even going to make the team, you know, with how many good players were there, how many kids were trying out. I kind of looked around and went, oh, my goodness, there's so much talent here. Um, and that's kind of what led me to, you know, my journey is, you know, Platteville. It actually led me to the job that I'm working in today. I've been with the same company for 11 years. So when I was a junior on the team, there was a freshman on the team. His dad ended up becoming my boss. My freshman year out of uh, my first year out of school, he became my boss, and I've been with the same company for eleven years in human resources and recruiting. Um, and I've always wanted to keep my eye in sports, but that's that's just kind of been my journey. I, I got into I switched my major from FIAD to business, and now my career has been in business and human resources and recruiting. So um, that's kind of what where I'm at now. Um, but the you know I've always wanted stay in athletics but you know you know later on we'll definitely discuss you know how I've gotten back into athletics but my journey has always been just you know led by competitive drive just because I kind of am in sales I think every athlete is always ends up being in some type of sales capacity no matter what your job title is so let's go back to the root of competition tell me about the first time you remember competing in something anything and, and what you drew from that experience so we used to play i played for a basketball team in the madison area called the madison hawks um and it was a lot different than your typical aau scene nowadays it was just a local group of friends of mine um kind of like your group in waterloo where it was just kind of like friends you know 
that's how you played. AAU really wasn't a big deal back then. So I played in a tournament at St. Bernard on the east side. And it was fifth grade tournament. And I remember playing, um, you know, pool play. It was the first time I've ever played in a basketball tournament. And I kind of thought, wow, this is a really, this is a really uh, amazing opportunity. And we ended up winning the whole tournament. You know, we beat everybody by 40 or 50 points. Um, and then my dad signed us up for a sixth grade tournament two weeks later. And we ended up just getting absolutely smoked by everybody. Um, we even ended up playing the uh, Jackson brothers for Madison West and Wesley Matthews. They were all on the same team for the Madison Spartans. I think we ended up losing to them by 70. And I thought, I don't ever want to feel like this again <laughs> when I was a fifth grader. And that's when my competitive drive just started to, to grow. Um, learning just as a young kid what it takes to compete and wanting those challenges. You know, if you play the same teams over and over again and you continue to win, you're really not challenging yourself. So I was really happy. I wasn't happy at the time, but later on in my life, I was really happy that my dad signed us up to play a grade up just to see what it takes to to uh, compete against people that are better than and that's kind of those that's the what I remember that both of those tournaments were at St. Bernard's on the east side and that's what I remember from my first competitions if those walls in that gym could talk they would have some stories to tell that's for sure yes played many games there and uh, I think we played tournaments all the way up through eighth grade there it was just a awesome gym uh, you know, if there were a hundred people in there, it felt like there was 10,000, one of those gyms where it just, it was just really loud and, you know, parents going crazy for fifth and sixth grade basketball. So you mentioned there, the competitiveness that you developed at a young age. I'm curious how that evolved and you use that competitiveness into your adult life. Yeah, I just, I just always have, like when you, when you're a young kid and, you know, you you can't really teach competitive. It's just something that's innate. It's a skill set that you, you know, you build it over time, but you really can't teach. That's just my opinion. You really can't teach somebody to be competitive. It's got to be all from within. And when we played in those tournaments with my friends, I just really always wanted to compete. Um, always wanted to play better competition. You know, always wanted to play in the bigger tournaments. And that's when it just kind of led me into my adult life nowadays up until COVID, I was playing four days a week still when I was 32 years old and I was still competing. Now I don't play nearly as much, but I feel like the early lessons in those fifth and sixth grade basketball games, I'm exact same competitive person. Obviously, I'm a little slower, a little larger, but all the lessons that I learned competing with my friends, you know, from grade school to high school to even in college and after college, it all started right then and there at St. Bernard winning those games, winning by 50 points, what it takes to win. And then the two weeks later, just get absolutely worked by teams that were older and better. It just kind of helped me realize what I wanted to, how I was able to compete at, at a higher level. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about success mm-hmm. and finding success at a young age. And tell me about how your thought process has changed over the course of your life as far as what success means. Right. I used to think that, you know, success in our society nowadays is definitely centered around winning, especially in sports. So I always thought that, you know, winning meant success. But after I got out of Platteville and playing basketball, I felt like success was being able to network with the right people, surrounding yourself with people that are competitive, but also people that, you know, see see what it takes to be successful. So that's kind of where that competitive drive came from. Um, 
at a young age. And now success in life to me is, you know, it's not always about making the most money, but the way that you do it, uh, surrounding yourself with the best people um, and finding a company that believes in you. You know, the company that I work for now is a company that I've really gotten everything I've wanted in an employer, uh, promote from within culture, being able to have your ideas heard, giving me an opportunity to, you know, advance in the company. And also hiring people is such an important skill. You want to hire the right people. So that's what I meant when I meant uh, surrounding yourself with the right people is how I view success nowadays. In that career, how do you use competition on a daily basis to help you find that success? Well, it's in sports, it's all about numbers. So I really like to formulate competitions within my subset team. I have five direct reports and it is always a competition, you know, hiring the right people. Um, how long do they stay? Uh, are they advancing their career with us? You know, what kind of skill set have they gained while they're with us? So it's always sports is leads you into competition in a career. So I kind of relate it to sort of like a numbers game, but also finding the right people. That's so important because nowadays everybody's hiring. <laughs> so <laughs> there are so many marketable skill sets. You got to find the right people. So it really is a competition selling yourself and it's all sort of numbers driven. Even though we're not selling physical product, we have sales reps that do that, but we are selling the company to prospective candidates, you know, people that see our business and go, wow, that's a company that you could really grow with. So that's where the competition comes into play. So when you're competing to get the best employee base that you can or playing in your men's hoops league on Sunday or whatever day it is, yes. are you driven by the fear of losing or the joy of winning? Oh, that is a really good question. Oh, man. Gosh, I, I guess I was when I played in the WIC, I would probably relate this question more to college. I was always one of those players that if I scored early, I knew I was going to have a good game. And if I didn't score early, I was kind of just out there. And I wish I was more like a player. I like to relate it to like a Charlie Lohoff, who I'm very, very close to to this day. He was one of those players that even if he didn't score, he still made certain plays that, that uh, affected the outcome of the game. I love, the, I love guys who can you know, play defense, who rebound it, who pass. He was one of those guys, if he didn't score, he could still have a good game. I wasn't one of those players. So when the games where I wasn't playing well, it was more of the fear of losing. When the games where I scored early and, and had a you know great game offensively, it was more the joy of winning. So it's a little bit of both for me. I always wish I was one of those players that affected the game in so many ways, like Aloha or somebody like you who really just competed hard all the time. I was just, I didn't have that mentality. I still don't know why to this day, but if I scored early, I was going to have a great game. If I didn't, I just, you know, sometimes it would just be a bad game overall, but I, w I feel like I was more driven by the joy of winning, but in those really, really tight games, like NCAA tournament, I just felt like I was more fear of losing. Yeah, I can totally relate with that. Quest That's a great question, though, because it's because you just never know what somebody is going to say. Because there's so many, there's so many games we could talk about where you could answer it differently. Well, I was just going to say that I think it's situational, and I I think what I've come to learn is that it becomes a little bit experience based too. The more experience you have, the more comfortable you are, the more you can enjoy it, 
the less experienced you are, there's an element of fear that creeps in because there's the unknown. Yes. Yeah. By the time I was a senior in the WIC, I felt like I was pretty well traveled in such a great league. Maybe when I was a freshman, you know, you're playing Stevens Point, who's number one in the country at our place. Uh, I just, you know, I was more driven by the holy smokes, you know, this is really fast. Whereas a senior, I was, you know, playing 35 minutes a game and I kind of got used to the pace. That's kind of how I view it. Let's talk about what I brought you here to talk about, because I'm really intrigued by this idea that you've developed. So you have Absolutely. the Isthmus Bowl, which is going to be a Division Three college bowl game held in Verona, and I'm going to let you talk about it. But I I am intrigued by your mindset and how this all came about. Like we talked about pre-show, I'm hosting a basketball event this December at Madison College, kind of reminiscing on the Badger Classic from when you and I were both young and having some memories there and running this event. And I know why I'm driven to run this event and where the idea and everything came from. But I'm curious if you can walk us through what this is and how it all developed. Mm -hmm. So um, you remember when COVID hit in March of 2020 and everybody was wondering what the heck was going on. It was a very kind of a scary time for everybody. It was the first time in our lives where we were told that we can't leave our homes, which that's not normal. Um, so what happened is, is I actually thought of a Division three sort of like an NIT for basketball. So I was mainly focused on that for about two weeks. And I came up with a really long proposal, and I pitched it to so many different conferences, and everybody was really interested in it. Um, but everybody was kind of more focused on COVID. And it just didn't really, it didn't hit like I was hoping it would. I kind of put it on the shelf. And... The one reason that it would be tough to do it is the 19-week rule in NCAA tournament basketball for Division Three. It's a rule that states that they have to take a week off if they want to compete. They have to take a week off of practice during the season if they want to compete in a tournament that's not the NCAA tournament. So it's sort of like a Division Three NIT. When that got put on the shelf, the next day I thought of the Isthmus Bowl. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do some research and see if this game is even NCAA eligible, see if it doesn't break NCAA rules. So I basically downloaded the D3 manual and I basically became like a, a, a low level lawyer with all the bylaws and rules that there's so much in there that just I didn't understand. I go, this rule makes no sense. It's not it's not a really good manual for somebody who's not, you know, from a law degree because there's so much mumbo jumbo in there. So I basically found the exact line that I needed that knew that wouldn't break NCAA rules. So then I called the NCAA and I reached out to somebody by the name of J.P. Williams. And he's one of the directors of alliances and championships. And when I told him that I'm going to come up with a Division Three bowl game between the CCIW and WIC, he was sort of like blown away. And then the next day I had my logo and a 20-page bowl game proposal. And it would be the best team in each conference who doesn't make the NCAA tournament. So essentially it'll be probably two ranked teams. So then I pitched that proposal to athletic directors. Um, and then I pitched it to the conference commissioners. And then I pitched it to the head coaches and I didn't get any negative feedback, which was shocking because, you know, in division three, the, the money isn't always there to make a trip like this. Um, and when I raised 40 grand in sponsorship, that's when everybody started out going, okay, I think this has a chance. 
So that's where the idea came from. I was sitting in quarantine. I was bored as all hell. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to come up with a bowl game. And I went to work and I never thought it would get to this point. Okay, so there's a few elements there I want to dive into because sure. this is ideas into action. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have ideas of things they want to do, but never actually take the action to make it come to fruition. So you mentioned in there, you pitched it to the coaches, the commissioners. How did you get yourself in front of them? I emailed them from my work email. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden, people started responding. And my wife was like, why is the NCAA responding to you? You know, you're not in sports. You're not in athletics. Why are they responding to you? Why is the new commissioner of the WIC, Danielle Harris, why is she responding to you? You're, you're not in athletics. And I said, well, maybe, maybe I have a cool idea. Um, and this is the first idea in my life that I finally put to action. You know, I've always wanted to start my own business, but it's just, I just wasn't a risk taker. But this is the, the first time in my life where I've come up with an idea and I took a risk and I start. I had to start an LLC. Um, so I keep track of all my sponsorship uh, expenses and uh, budgeting as well as revenue. So the Isthmus Bowl, I have an LLC called Isthmus Bowl LLC. And I have come up with, uh, I, I feel like I'm doing it the right way. Like I have a, a I had to, I have a trophy. I'm not sure if you saw that on our on Isthmus Bowl uh, Twitter account, but I have a trophy. I have a VIP tent. I had to purchase a, a banner. So it, it basically be, essentially became a small business. And I think both conferences are really benefiting from the notoriety. And I just personally believe I competed in the WIC. And my dad played basketball at Carroll when they were in the CCIW way back when. And we've always kind of argued on which league is better. and. I just thought, you know what, this bowl game's really going to kind of be able to give us that chance to do, to see which league is better or which league, you know, does have better teams year in and year out. So I said, why not duke it out on the gridiron? So that's where the idea came to into action. At first, I thought it'd be cool, and most people kind of dismissed the idea. To be honest, I wrote I wrote to a lot of sponsors, I talked to a lot of you know acquaintances in Madison, and they're like, Mike, that'll never happen. You know, nobody in Madison's going to be interested in a Division Three bowl game. And then when Craig Culver wrote me an email back, I actually wrote him a handwritten letter. And he wrote me an email back that said, hey, Mike, um, I got your bowl game proposal. Not sure where we'll go with it, but I think you've got something special, Craig Culver. And when I got that email back, my eyes just lit up. I said, okay, I'm going to go to work. And then since then, I've raised over 40 grand in sponsorship. And then um, it's called the Culver's Isthmus Bowl. And I, you know, and I wrote to Quick Trip, American Family Insurance, and everybody started saying yes. And now we've actually sold uh, a little over 200 tickets through today. And that's pretty cool for a, a game that we don't even know who the teams are yet. We probably won't even know till uh, November 13th, which is a week before the game. So I think it's really neat that you wrote a handwritten letter to Craig Culver. I'm curious why you decided to go that approach and how you were able to know that it would reach his desk. Oh, I I never thought it would reach his desk. So when I got the email, I sort of like, I go, this doesn't look like it doesn't look real. But early on, I was writing to all kinds of sponsors in the Madison area. As you know, Madison is, um, you know, there's some, it's, 
it's a blue collar city, but white collar more so. So I wrote to a lot of banks and I either didn't hear back or they just said, Hey Mike, we're not interested. And then my dad, I was like, dad, I can't, I, I'm striking out here. What should I do? And he goes, why don't you write to Culver's? And I said, that'll never happen. So he said, well, if you don't try, it's not going to work. So I, so I came home, I wrote a handwritten letter to Craig Culver, and then I sent him my logo and my bowl game proposal. And he passed it along to their marketing department. And then uh, the director of marketing is a Platteville graduate. And so it was like a, like a, it was like an extra point, a college extra point, not NFL. It was like a college extra point. It was, I got talking to her and we talked, I said, listen, do you want to be the lead sponsor? And they, as soon as they said, yes, I think that's when it really started to set off hundred percent. When you get the sponsor lined up, like most division one games have a title sponsor. When I got Culver's Culver's is probably one of the most recognizable brands in Wisconsin. So that's when I really started to hit it, hit it big. So tell everybody when the game's happening, where it's happening, where they can get tickets and at, so on and so forth. So the game is November 20th at Verona Area High School. It's a brand new high school. The field is just phenomenal. It's a 3 p.m. kickoff, and Craig Culver will be doing the coin toss, which is going to be really exciting. Tickets are being sold right now, and all, all people need to do is email isthmusbowl at gmail.com for ticketing information. We have three or four different options for them to purchase tickets and tickets could either be at their door or they could uh, put them into will call. And then we will find out who the teams are. These next four weeks are going to be kind of crucial to find out who's going to qualify for the game. Right now in the WIC, there's probably three or four teams that could get in. Who knows? And CCIW probably has three or four as well. So it's kind of interesting, but yeah, 3 PM kickoff. Saturday, November 20th at Verona Area High School. Last logistical question because I'm a nerd this way and this stuff intrigues me. So as you know, high school basketball courts are 84 feet. College yes. basketball courts are 94 feet. What are the differences in the college and high school football field that you have to account for? Yes. So we have to draw hash marks on the field at the, co- at, at the uh, high school field. So we have to draw college hash marks. Most people probably wouldn't even know there's a difference. Uh, but they're 53 and a third yards or sorry they're 53 feet wide in high school and they are 40 feet wide in college and they are only 18 feet wide in the nfl so all three levels have different hash marks um and i asked the coaches i said well do i need to draw on the on the field they said yes because in high school, the, the hash marks are so far apart, you, they don't want to run to the short side of the field, so it does affect their playbook. So I said, okay, well, then I'll have a temporary option, and I'll have uh, temporary hash marks 40 feet apart on the field. So all we have to do is move them in 6 feet 8 inches on both sides. It's very small mark. It's only 2.5 yards, but it does make a big difference, the coaches said. All right, last question. Something fun to get you out of here with. Okay. Imagine a refrigerator. And you look inside of that refrigerator, what item inside that refrigerator best identifies who you are as a person and why? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, man. Hmm. I have always been. Unfortunately, I've always been 
came to eating junk food. I wish I didn't have to say that. When you're 150 pounds and 6'1", coming out of high school, you kind of eat whatever you want. I can't really do that anymore. But for my birthday, I always, uh, I always get basically uh, a chicken, fried chicken, or not fried chicken, but grilled chicken with uh, Ritz crackers on top of it. And it's my absolute favorite. Um, and how it describes me is I just, I just love the flavor. So I've always thought about like, I'm full of energy. So I've always been one of those people that can talk to anybody. I'm full of energy. And I always, you know, I'm always coming to, to give my best, all ultimate best. So that's why that food kind of relates to me. But that, that's, a, that's a great question. Well, it makes you think a little bit. And I know that you think because this idea that you have and you're turning into action is a great one. So the Isthmus Bowl, I'm looking forward to it. I hope my Eagles are in the actual playoffs. But if they're not, this will be a fun alternative. Yeah, it's definitely a, they definitely could get in. We'll see. It's uh they have a they play uh, Whitewater on November 6th. That'll be a huge game. Not that this upcoming game for them isn't huge because all of them are. But that game will be huge because it'll really have implicit Isthmus Bowl implications, depending on if the D3 committee decides to let it. If they're 9-1 and one or 8-2, and two, we'll see. And then the CCIW has a bunch of big games coming up, too, just like the WIAC. Well, Mike, I'm excited to see where this goes. And thank you for coming on the Competitive Mindset to share your perspective and this great idea that you came up with. Thank you, Billy. Have a good one. Competitive Mindset Music was produced by DJ Jojo Moore and all images were created by Elena Keel. Be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and follow us at Competitive Pod.